Well, good morning to everybody online. Good morning to everybody out here on the lot. Welcome to Redemption Church. And uh, as we get started this morning, it is the second Sunday of the month. That's one of the, the Sundays that we actually do all of our financial update stuff on the building and everything else. And I thought I would just kind of give a little bit of information because I think some people have thought one thing and others have thought another. And I thought I would just kind of clarify some stuff before I give our financial update as we continue to look toward the building. The first thing you need to know that this construction project over here, it's not us, all right? So we got people like, dude, we broke ground. I'm like, we did? I didn't know we did. So uh, no, we have not broke ground yet. But see, here is how good God is to his church. God never lets his church down. He always knows what his church needs. And so before we even tried to buy this, there was a man up in Snohomish that said, Duval needs donuts, all right? And so that is a coffee and donut stand that is going on. Yes, we're very... That's all it takes. Just take some coffee and donuts, and then we're like, then a church must be next to it. So... um, Anyway, so that's what's going on there. Very excited for Darcy's Dinky Donuts. Met the owner, builder, and he's a great, great guy. His name's Chris. He's going to be a great neighbor to us and everything else. And so that's what they're doing. We're really looking at hopefully by this time next summer that where you're sitting will be a debris field of stuff, right? That's the heart behind all of this. And so uh, we are moving in that direction. We really do, just based on the reality of time constraints and requirements with the city and everything else, this really is a project that needs to begin roughly by next summer for all sorts of reasons. And so we are aggressively and prayerfully in the pursuit of the resources to do that. And so every month we give you updates on where we're at kind of financially as a church. And so, uh, and what we do is like, it's July, but we're giving you the update for June. So last month, basically the general fund for last month was $69,500 for the general fund. And then the building fund was $9,600 for a total of $79,100. Now, our target every month is to hit 90000 per month. That's giving us kind of the, the capital that is needed to put it toward down payment stuff, plus showing the lenders that, hey, we can handle this kind of load and everything else. And so there's a lot in that. So we were a little bit down in June from what our target was. But by God's grace and the generosity of a family here at Redemption, we have a really excellent opportunity between now and the end of the year. And so basically what has happened is kind of in the spirit of generosity, a family's come forward and said, we want to do a dollar-for-dollar matching campaign for the church. And so between right now and December 31st, for every dollar you give to the building fund, they will match that dollar up to $750,000. And so this is, yeah, you can clap for that, by the way, because that's very generous. Very exciting. And so right now we have about $2.18 million in the bank toward the building project. The whole project is $6 million. And if you take that seven fifty and you add seven fifty, and we did all of that by the end of the year, that is well beyond halfway to our goals for the entire cost of the project and certainly puts us in that sweeter spot when it comes to any kind of lending or whatever else. And so the challenge for all of us between now and the end of the year is to be generous toward the building fund to see that dollar-for-dollar matching. And again, we're just going to continue to see that accrue because while it's super cool to be outside it's not super cool to be outside for the next decade all right so we are steaming toward a building and then also just as a kind of an update we're really still hoping to be into the school by this september that might be where it's looking i think my voice cracked i'm hitting puberty all over again um 
But we're hoping by September is when we're going to be back in. Maybe a little sooner, we'll see. But we're really working toward that as well as we're working towards seeing our facility down here on the lot. And so that building will be substantially bigger. This will be parking in here. Uh, and uh, over every month, we're going to be releasing to you another little bits and pieces of the building plan, the you know the floor plans, the blueprints, everything else. Uh, so you'll be excited to see some of the things that are coming together. So lots going on, lots of challenge before us to give in bold and generous ways. And I'm excited to see what Jesus is going to do with all of this. So like Trent said, we're starting a new series today called Called. So it's called Squared. So it's a series entitled Called, and it's all about our calling in life. And so I want to go ahead and pray for us this morning as we get ready for that. I want to remind you also we have an app. There's notes in the app. The financial information is also in the app if you wanted to have that as far as it's in the notes section. But I'm going to pray for us today, and we're going to try to blaze through this start of the series as we figure out what we're called from and for and to and all of that. So if you pray with me, that'd be awesome. Jesus, I thank you for the fact that you are taking such good care of us as a church. I mean, this last year and a half has just been unknowns, but as I think about the last decade of our church, it's always been unknowns. Like, we are in control of so little, and so we are at the mercy of your generosity and grace, your uh, kind of mobilization of this church to help people see that life is better with Jesus, and then from that, to do things that bless and do good things for our city. And so I pray that we will, in our own lives and our own kind of our bones and our convictions, that we will live and believe that life is better with you, and we want others to experience that life as well, not out of control or guilt or force, but to be compelling agents because we are so compelled by you. So we thank you, Jesus, for your love and generosity and grace toward us, and we thank you for this day together in your good and perfect name. Amen. All right, called. It is a word in our lives that has all kinds of bandwidth, right? So uh, we might say, for example, that this building here is called the hub, and so we use called as sort of a designation of a name. Or maybe you use called like you called a friend, or maybe there's a time in your life or times in your life where you've called on God. So it's kind of this, this crying out, if you will, or connection type of word. Maybe we talk about it sort of vocationally or internally or personally, where you say, I have a sense of calling in my life, or I felt called to this thing, or I discovered my calling. If you discovered your calling, write that book. We want to read it so we can discover ours too. Because we're always kind of in search of what's my calling, what's my purpose, what's my designation. That is the bandwidth of calling. And when we look at the Bible and we read that word, it has an equal level of bandwidth. So sometimes calling is what God calls a person or what people call a location. But often calling is this idea of invitation. Where God sends out a call into our lives and he calls us to a thing and he calls us for a purpose. And that's really what this whole series is about. We want to understand the sense of calling. What we're called from what we're called to, and what we're called unto, or maybe to put it different, what we're called out of, what we're called into, and what we are called for. Because while many of us have a sense of customized calling, right? So maybe you, like I said earlier, you feel called to a vocation or called to some artistic endeavor or called to some purpose in life or whatever else, and that's your particular thing. 
what I find in the Bible is that there is a calling for all of us, right? That we're all a part of this universal type of call that God has placed in the life, in the essence of his church, that we want to try to understand, live out, and, and really from that even bless the world around us because that is so much connected to this idea of calling. And so we're called by his grace, but in the calling of his grace, we are called for his, his work. That's the universal calling. And so today I want to start with just kind of an introduction, looking at the heritage of our calling and the scope of this calling. And what's cool is it doesn't start simply on the day you began to follow Jesus. And this calling didn't even begin when Jesus set foot into the world and did what he did 2,000 years ago. No, we have to go deep, deep, deep back into our heritage. We have to go 4,000 years back, all the way to Mesopotamia and a little old man named Abe. That is where the call really begins. In fact, we see it in the book of Genesis chapter 11 where there is this man in this location just doing his own thing, living life as he was living it and everything else. And God decides he's going to take this individual and make him the spring that brings water to the desert, that brings flourishing for the world. Right. So we're going to start with his calling and then we're going to see how that dovetails with our own. So it starts in Genesis chapter 11, verse 31. It says, One day, Terah took his son Abram, his daughter-in-law Sarai, who was Abram's wife, and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran's child, or it was his son Haran's child, rather, and he moved away from Ur of the Chaldeans. He was headed for the land of Canaan, but they stopped at Haran, and they settled there. Now, oftentimes when we read the Bible, when we start our like, I'm going to read the Bible in a year, and we're reading Genesis, and we get to this, we just go, huh, okay, they moved, they did things, whatever, right? It doesn't mean much to us. Ur, Chaldeans, Haran, whatever. But, but let me give you a sense of perspective on their world. Ur was sophisticated. Ur had wealth, had power, had art, art and science and technology. It was the place to be. It was successful by every standard in the ancient world. And much of his success was rooted in the fact that it was a highly agricultural society because while it doesn't have a lot of water today, it had tons of water back then. They didn't have to worry about irrigation in the same way. It was like the water was just plentiful. It was everywhere. And so we can grow epic crops. And from that, man, we can have wealth and power and strength to our heart's content. So Ur was the place to be except... Ur was known to flood. And it would flood a lot. And when it would flood, it would kill a lot of people. So I have no doubt that some families were like, you know what, we are sick of the flooded world. Yes, it gives us prosperity. It gives us a certain level of flexibility. But we're always a little freaked out by it too. And so we want to think about moving. And so this family moves from Ur to this place called Haran. And it's interesting because Haran literally means in Hebrew, parched. So think about this, right? This is what people from Seattle do. We're here in Seattle. We raise our kids here. We have our jobs here. We get paid pretty well, but it rains a lot. It's 50 degrees. And when it's time to finally move on, what do you think? I'm going to find the most parched place in comparison. So people move to Texas. They move to Idaho. They move to to Arizona. They're like, I'm going to do the opposite of 50 and wet. I'm going to do 110 and death, right? But because that's what we do, right? We're like, Wet, bad, parched, good. At least that's the nature of human existence. Our tendency 
is to almost over-rotate to find the better life. So if this is how life is and I don't like it, I'm going to over-rotate to the extreme opposite and maybe I'm going to find life there. We call it grass greener on the other side. And yet for Abe's father, he's like the grass is greener where it's dead. Because at least there, it doesn't flood. So that's what they set out to do. They set out to move and to do things different. But with this, the culture is fundamentally the same. The vibe of their lives is pretty much just like it was in Ur. The customs are similar. The gods are similar as well. And so all Abe has ever known for 75 years, keep this in mind, when the story comes out, when we're first introduced to Abe, he's 75 and so all he's ever known is ur and wet or heron and arid and dry and parts. It's all he's known. And then with that, all he's known is, again, the certain customs, the creeds, the style, the art, the science, the music of his culture. And all he's known in that are the gods of his culture. And the gods of his culture aren't like what we understand God to be. Gods there were not personable they weren't interested in dispensing mercy or care. They didn't want relationships with humans. They didn't really like humans. Humans were slaves to their own interests. You give them what they want. You give them sacrifices. They give you rain. They give you crops. They give you offspring. And so you sacrifice all sorts of crazy things to the gods. And that's his life. And as far as he knew, that was probably going to be his calling. Because when you're 75 in that culture, you're not going to do anything new. You're not going to make a big dent you're settling in for the final little quarter of life, not even quarter, because back then to go to 75, that was huge, right? So he's just kind of like, all right, this is the end. I don't have any kids. We just didn't have that. My wife didn't, and I didn't end up being able to do that, and so that isn't there. But you know what? He's rich. He's got a lot of stuff. We see that later in the book, and so he's just enjoying retirement. And it's in that space, late in life, that God then steps in with a radical calling. And the calling comes in three steps in Genesis chapter 12. First, as we see that Abe was called out. It says, Then the Lord said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family. Now again, we read that and we go, hmm, whatever, because we tend to leave our families in a, in a relatively normal way here in our culture today. But back then, you didn't usually even move more than 10 or 15 miles from where you were born. This idea of leaving your family is radical. More deeply than that, it's not just that God's going to say, I want you to leave your family. What he's saying is, I want you to leave your way of life. I want you to leave what is comfortable and familiar. I want you to, to leave what you've loved. Leave what you've known. Leave what you've invested into because I want to do something else with you. So you're going out of what you have been a part of, right? Everything that's safe, familiar, and even pleasurable. So the first part of our, of our calling is to be called out. The second is to be called in. God says, I want you to leave this place and go to the land that I will show you, right? Something new, something unknown. And it's not just a physical space. I think we think that, like, oh, he's just going to a different location where the, the environment's maybe a little bit more pleasant. No, what he's saying is, I want you to leave all you value. I want you to leave all the things that you've thought. I want you to leave behind the culture that you're so familiar with, and I want you to leave behind the gods that you think you know, but really they don't know you and you don't know them because it's not a relational thing. See, this God is going to be different than anything that Abe had ever come in contact with before. 
Because this God wants relationship. He actually wants to enter into what's called a covenant, which is a bond of love and loyalty where this God says, you know what, I'm not just here so you give me my crops or even worse, you give me your firstborn child as an offering. I'm not into that. What I'm into is having this walk with you, having this dynamic with you. And so I'm calling you out of one thing, but into a life with me. But then he goes more deep and he says, you're out and in because ultimately I'm calling you for something. He says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. In fact, he closes it out and he says, all the families on earth will be blessed through you. So he says, listen, Abe, dude, I'm not just gonna bless your tribe. I'm not just gonna bless your namesake, but literally I'm going to invite you into this process, this progress of reformation and restoration that blesses every tribe on earth. And so the calling is not just, it's God and Abe chilling in the desert for the last few years of his life where he gets all of the, the joy of spiritual enlightenment and refreshment and it just stops with him. I was like, no, man, I am actually recruiting you in your, your retirement age to do a radical thing that changes everything. That's the call. Out, in, and for. And here's the thing. That call to Abram is still the same call that comes to us. See, because we all live between some bookends. When you read the Bible, there's two bookends. At the front, there's a tree in a garden. And that tree in the garden represents life. And God gave life to the human condition so that we would thrive and flourish. But we decided to rebel. It brought decay. That decay continues to exist. But God has interjected into the decay something that can bring restoration in life. But the other bookend is another tree at the end in a garden. But the tree in the garden is in a city in the book of Revelation. And it's a tree that brings healing to the nations. It's the tree of life again. So there's a tree in a garden, and eventually there's a tree in a garden in a city. And we're sort of brought into the middle of that between the bookends to function a bit like gardeners still. We're called to cultivate. We're called to emphasize the tree garden dynamic. We're called to bring life and flourishing in a world of decay. And that's exactly what God started with Abraham. That's what God is still doing in your life and your life and your life and your life and my life, all of our lives, if we take the calling seriously. So we all have a call in the line of Abraham for the purpose of Jesus. And so we begin our series when it comes to this calling by understanding, again, kind of that, that threefold aspect in our own lives, how that happened. And then for the rest of the series through the summer, we're going to look at just iconic things where the Bible says you were called to X. There's about seven of them. We will see. But today I want to talk about how we were called out, called in, and called for. And so if you're taking notes in your app this morning... It starts with number one here in your notes. We were called out of the stuff of decay. See, just in the same way that Abe was called out of a parched world, you were called, I was called, out of a parched world. In fact, Peter says this to some new Christians suffering quite a bit, suffering at the hands of Jewish individuals who reject Jesus as their Savior. And he says this to these new Christians that are suffering. He says, you're not like that. 
You're not like those who oppose our faith. He says, no, you're a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness. So you, I want you to think to yourself, say to yourself right now, when Jesus called me, he called me out of darkness. So in the same way that there is this parched desert, there is this pitch blackness that we're all called out of, right? We're brought from it. And it's not just spiritual blindness. What he's saying is, I've called you out of the values of this world. I've called you out of the priorities of this world. I've called you out of the preoccupations of this world. I've called you out of the mercilessness or the unkindness. I've called you out of the gracelessness of this world. I've called you out of this desire for wealth or power or esteem or self-interest. I've called you from that. That is all the stuff that ultimately leads to decay and keeps the decay going. He says, no, I've drawn you out of that. I've drawn you out of that so that you might experience and seek life because this decaying stuff, it really does rob us of life, and we know it. When we worry about the stuff of our lives, when we worry about our money, when we worry about our security, when we worry about our safety, we don't feel more alive in that. We feel drained in that. We're preoccupied. We can't sleep. We're frustrated. We're worried about tomorrow. We're checking the stock market. We're making sure that governments are playing by the rules. And we get all nervous when we focus too much on the here and now. And so he says, man, I'm rescuing you from that kind of distraction and from that darkness. So we were removed from the darkness. From this, being called out of something means we're called into something. And if you're taking notes, it's the second thing in your notes. You were called into the stuff of flourishing. If you're called out of decay, you're called into flourishing. And and here's the thing about this. Uh, Things that are without light, things that are without water, right? So dark and kind of parched, they can't flourish, right? A plant can't flourish without light and water. The world can't flourish without light and water. And in this case, we're talking about something that's much more spiritual than simply just physical, We need that. So the world can organize, the world can manage, the world can try, but there's this truth that even as we grow technologically, we grow in superiority with stuff, we still have this internal human condition that struggles with depression, anxiety, fear, grief, hate, discord, division, war. You name it, the deepest stuff of the human condition doesn't flourish, but decays ultimately. No matter what we create around us, there's always this sense of decay, and the reason is that you need an ordered input of energy, of water and light and life to take decay and, and, and convert it, right? Things will continue to decay unless something more powerful injects life in the decay and changes it. And as readers of the Bible, as followers of Jesus, we know that that's in fact Jesus. He's the light, he's the life, he's the water, he's the door. He describes himself in all those ways. And so when we are brought into something, we're fundamentally brought into life with him, abundance with him. We're given something from him as we are brought into him. In fact, when you read through the New Testament, it says often you are in Christ. You are in him and he's in you. And then that means that he is doing this wellspring thing through you to bring flourishing. In fact, Paul says something interesting in 1 Corinthians He says, you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
He will. He will keep you strong to the end so that you'll be free from all the blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. God will do this, for he is faithful to do what he said, and he has called you, ready, into partnership with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Here's what I dig about this, right? He says, I didn't just save you so you could enjoy spiritual growth, that you could learn your Bible, that you could feel whole inside, and it just stops with you so that you could be a cul-de-sac, you and Jesus pedaling around on your tricycle. That's not it. He says, I made you to be a conduit. I want to do something through you. I've called you for this and to this for a reason. So I want to partner with you. And so it says he empowered you, he strengthened you, and he made a promise to you so that you could live then in the context of the partnership, right? So you get to collaborate with what Jesus is doing in the world. Not simply to enrich ourselves or enjoy ourselves, to acquire more spiritual growth for ourselves, but again, to do something more profound to do something like i don't know change the world and jesus's point is hey if you want to change the world then you have to roll with me and i roll different than the world we learn that through the gospel of luke jesus just says whatever the world does i do the opposite of it it's called holiness it's being uncommon that's how we roll but that is how we roll and so just as much as we're called out of and into we see the third thing in your notes you were called for You were called for the stuff of blessing the world. I go back to what Peter said back in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, you're not like that. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, he can show others the goodness of God through you because he called you out of the darkness and to or for the purpose of showing his wonderful light. Right? So this begins to show us that we have a calling beyond ourselves. We need to then show the world around us what a life with Jesus looks like. We need to show the world around us what the light of Christ in our life begins to look like for the sake of the world. We need to be a people that say, you know what, I'm going to show you what our God is like. I'm going to show you his generosity, his grace, his love, his mercy, his kindness, and his compassion. I'm going to show how he brings flourishing from decay, and he waters the arid deserts with newness of life. That is what we are called for. So out of, into, and for. And so from this, we want to take up Paul's challenge. He says this in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you. I love that. He says, I'm begging you. Matter of fact, I I just want you right now, as I'm reading this, I I want you to think that he's he's writing this to you. He's saying this to you. Not simply to a church 2,000 years ago in Turkey, but to you right now today. Here's what he's saying. I beg you. To lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Right? So God personally grabbed hold of your life and said, I want to use you. I want to partner with you. I want to show my life and love on you and through you. So he calls you to this calling personally investing into us. And he says, now I I want you to do something with it in a way that is worthy shows the magnitude of what it is we've been brought into as far as life and light and partnership and making a difference for the world. We go, great, how do I do that? How do I partner? How do I live out this difference? Verse two, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. 
I love this. Of all the things he could say to, sh- to, to show, hey, you need to worthy of this calling that's been on your life. I love that he gives this list. I, I think it's so fitting. Because what he's saying is it's not about taking a stand. Maybe it's about taking a knee or taking a hand, right? Something very different. Maybe it's not about being sick of or fed up with the brokenness or decay of our world, but rather it's being patient with and making allowance for the brokenness of people's lives and hurting for them in that space. Maybe it's not about speaking the truth in love, which is something I love to hear Christians say, but really they say it probably in wrong ways. The truth is we should be showing the truth with our love. That is far more compelling than simply speaking the truth in love. Because remember what Jesus described himself as? A couple of weeks ago we learned this in Luke out of the Gospel of Matthew. He described himself as humble and gentle. And what do we see here? Always be humble and gentle. You know what Paul's simply saying? Just be like Jesus. You were called out of your sin by Jesus. You were called into your life in Jesus. You were called for the purpose of being like Jesus, gentle and humble, patient and kind, understanding and gracious in this world. And when we own that, live that, and do that, then we're doing our calling. Let's go ahead and pray together. Jesus, I thank you that you call us out, in, and for. And I pray that we will take that seriously because the world needs it, right? Decay needs an infusion of life, of flourishing from you. And so I pray that we are so connected and riveted to you that it's not us trying to white knuckle it and do good and be you know obedient but rather it would be us so dependent on you so connected to you that your life is just dispensed through us and so if anything i pray that our calling is that we are we are just driven to to prayer driven to need driven to worship driven to hunger for that which you're passionate about really driven to do your will which is the will of your father which is to love the world around us because We know your father loved the world so much he gave you. Not so the people would be condemned, but rather the people would begin to flourish anew, that they would be saved. And so I pray that we are your gardeners in this time, that we are looking at the garden that was with the tree that was, and we're looking toward the garden that will be and the tree that is in the city that you have laid for us. And so even now today, as we get ready for communion, Jesus, I pray that we see this even as that that reminder of the closeness we are to have with you. So draw our hearts, draw our minds, draw our soul in your way. We love you, Jesus, and thank you in your name. Amen.